Welcome to another episode of the Around the Keg podcast, your one-stop shop for hot takes and cold beer. I'm your host, Whit Barfield, joined as always by my co-host, Matt, Lando, and our tech producer, Keys. This week, we get real deep into some football talk, starting with the NFL preseason games, a preview of the upcoming college football season, and rounding it out with our pour one out, cut them off segment. Hope you all enjoy. Did preseason start last Thursday, besides the Hall of Fame game? It did. The Eagles and Patriots are playing right now. I know. I'm sitting. I'm, I just the reason I just said that is because I just saw uh, Devontae Smith catch a touchdown. Oh, he's playing. Yeah, he's playing. Did he not play? Did they play last week? Yeah, they played last week. They played Pittsburgh last week. He's been injured, so he didn't play last week. When did he get hurt? Uh, practice. Uh, Thinking of practice, it was like a non-contact injury. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he sprained his MCL. Good to see him out there, though. Um, I watched a little bit of the game last week, and Jalen Hurts looked okay. I mean, it's about what I can expect from him. He leaves the pocket a little too quickly. His accuracy has gotten better, but this is just a year for us for for the Eagles to find something better for next year. So this year just needs to be not as trash as it was last year. Well, if you don't like uh, Jalen Hurts, you probably want the Eagles to be more trash than they were last year, so they can end up with a better draft pick, right? Well, I mean, let's be honest. How many quarterbacks that that get picked in like you know the first fifteen picks usually pan out to be you know Hall of Fame play, caliber players? Like no, normally, you you can pick a quarterback late first round, second round, third round, or in Tom Brady's case, was it the seventh round? You you can you can find a quarterback late, but yeah, I would like us to 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 play well this year and and be a decent team, but also be crappy enough so we can get you know, a high draft pick and get a quarterback. Yeah, I could see that. There's a lot of guys this year who um, are first-year starters who have actually looked really good in preseason. I know we've talked a lot about Justin Fields. He's He's been looking really good. Uh, he came in. I think Andy Dalton played the first quarter. He ended up playing the rest of the game for the Bears last week. And then uh, Mac Jones for the Patriots, man, he looked really good. I was surprised at how good he looked. I know Cam Newton, I'm, I'm watching the game right now. Cam Newton's starting the game. Uh, and I would honestly, like, We've talked about before, I would expect Cam Newton to start the season, too. But I have a feeling Mac Jones is going to surprise a lot of people and end up being the starter by the end of the year. Mac Jones is going to surprise a lot of people not named Matt Howell. Did he look really good, or did he just not make mistakes? Because there's two that's two different things, looking really good I, and not making mistakes. Mac Jones last week just didn't make mistakes. You know, did he look really good? Yeah, he looked Isn't that the point looked, of ah. playing quarterback, though, is not making mistakes? And also, he he threw a dime that got dropped in the end zone. So I'm just I'm just saying I'm not saying that he's going to be a Hall of Famer. I'm just saying that he looked good. He he might be kind of like what we were talking about last week. He's not going to win you many games, but he's also not going to lose you many games. Mm, I'm going to say this about Mac Jones, just based on this one game I watched. And you know, I didn't watch the whole game. I just watched a couple throws. He made some really good throws in that game too. It wasn't just him not making mistakes. Now, granted, it's preseason. He was probably playing against the second team defense, or even if it was the first team defense, you know, people are going to sit out. So I'm not, I'm not saying I'm reading too much into it. I'm just saying he made some better throws, and he looked like he was more well attuned to the timing of the NFL than I would have expected for a guy like him to be in his first start. Even though, even if it is preseason. Here's the thing that I've, 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 I've been a Mac Jones stand since last year, whenever he started playing well. 
uh, no with, way. with with Alabama. I mean, obviously, yeah, but but no, like I I've listened to a lot of interviews with Patriots players, and it's the veteran it's the veteran offensive line guys that don't really have to put a lot of stock into it. They could just be like, yeah, I mean, he's a rookie, he's doing all right. But they're they're they have even come out and said like, man, Mac Jones has really surprised me with how well he's played this early on in his career. Like he came in and he's just got a different attitude demeanor and swagger about him that a lot of young guys don't really have I don't think he's going to be the starter week one but there's a lot of there's a lot of the Patriots beat writers who have said that they think that like October 24th mark is going to be when Mac Jones takes over as a starter uh, that's like a little over a month into the season you know depending on what the Patriots are doing but you know I, I think he's going to push him a little bit but you can say the same thing about Justin Fields he was playing predominantly against second team defense I mean you know we're we, we're ready to praise everybody, and you know I I'm not going to take anything away from him either though. I mean he he looked good. Uh, Trevor Lawrence did not look as NFL timing ready to me last week. I don't know if y'all watched any of that, but first play of the game he gets sacked. He comes back, makes a good throw, and like he made some good throws. I'm not worried. I'm not hitting the panic button. I think that he's going to be just fine as a pro. Uh, but as far as the timing and making making a couple. Uh, bad reads or missing reads, I should say. I, I thought he looked okay, but nothing stellar. Yeah, uh, I don't put too much stock, if any, into preseason games. But I think that Trevor Lawrence is, out of those guys we just mentioned, Trevor Lawrence is going to have the worst season out of all of them. And not because of him personally and what he's doing, just because of the team that's around him and the fact that he has a brand new head coach in the NFL. So, like what we saw from the Jags last last week is them having a brand new system, a brand new coach who has never coached in the NFL period. So he's still adjusting to the, the NFL speed. So Trevor Lawrence is, is just going to have to deal with having a brand new head coach in the NFL. And it's not going to be like Justin Fields, who has Matt Nagy, who's been in the NFL for a long time. He has his systems in place. He has the type, the right coaches in place. And in Chicago, it's not going to be like um, Mac Jones, who has Bill Belichick. You know, they have their systems in place. They're proven coaches. I know Matt Nagy really isn't that proven, but he's been in the NFL for a long time. So he kind of knows what he's doing. We don't know yet if Urban Meyer is going to pan out in the NFL. So, you know, I'm kind of worried for Trevor Lawrence. I really hope that they put some pieces around him so that way he can be successful. But we'll have to wait and see what Urban Meyer does. Well, Lando makes a good point, too. I mean, when I was watching that game, I noticed that Trevor Lawrence was a little bit off, but I think the whole team in general just looked like it was a completely new first time ever together as a team with this uh, new franchise quarterback, new head coach and Urban Meyer. They just didn't look like they were completely on schedule. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I think I think they're going to be fine even this year. I think at some point they'll hit a stride a little bit. Um, but I'll tell you one thing. I, I would not be surprised to see Gardner Minshew end up starting off week one just because of the fact that he has that NFL experience. When you have a guy, a head coach, who doesn't have any NFL experience at all, it might be good to have a guy in there who, who can run the offense at least who's actually done it before. Not that, I, not that I don't think Trevor Lawrence would do a good job, and I don't think Trevor Lawrence – not that I don't think Trevor Lawrence can run the offense, but, I mean, it might be smart to have somebody in there that's got experience. See, I would agree with you on that if – the head coach was somebody who already has systems in place in NFL, but Urban Meyer is brand new, so his 
his system might not even be a prototypical NFL style offense. So I would just go ahead and start Trevor Lawrence because, you know, it's it's something new. Like maybe Gardner Minshew can't run Urban Meyer's offense. Maybe Trevor Lawrence is the best option for his style of offense. So I would just put throw Trevor Lawrence in there, throw him to the Wolves, and see how he does. And you know, iron sharpens iron. So see, I I, I would agree with I agree with Lando too. I only because. When you look at the history of the Jacksonville Jaguars, very few times do you have an organization that's willing to put in time to build around a young quarterback. A lot of times it's performer bust. Uh, the Jags have a history of not being very good, so I think with the way that the organization is right now and Shad Khan, the owner, and he's got a brand-new head coach, they're going to do – they're going to treat him more like Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning, where it's like, we want you to go through your rookie mistakes as a rookie. We don't want you to sit on the bench and try and learn from a guy who's only been a starter really for a season because it was half of a year, one year, and then he was injured most of last year, so he didn't really play much. So it's not like it's a guy like Brett Favre or with Rodgers or another you know top-of-the-line NFL star that's been it's a quarterback it's Gardner Minshew and I love Gardner Minshew and I think he's got a lot of potential to help a team out uh but just not the Jaguars this year so I think Trevor Lawrence is gonna be the starter week one and you don't you don't draft a guy like Trevor Lawrence to let him sit the bench at all and if you're the Jaguars yeah let's just hope that all that hype that has surrounded Trevor Lawrence since heck his high school days his college days let's just hope all that hype doesn't fizzle out once against the pros because you know you know how you know the NFL is what have you done for me lately and people will judge you off of one game and say oh he's a bust he sucks so I I really hope that all the hype that he's had doesn't screw him over in the NFL because I think he has the potential to be really good you know it just sometimes you get put on a bad team in a bad situation kind of like a lot of those Browns quarterbacks you know a lot of those Browns quarterbacks were just thrown into a horrible situation with a horrible organization and they had never had any chance to succeed. Uh, Baker Mayfield is just one of the lucky ones that has actually had some stability in, in Cleveland. So I really hope that Trevor Lawrence can have some stability in Jacksonville and not be labeled a bust just because of the situation that he's put in. Yeah, he'll have time. And I did see today, though, that they have decided that Andy Dalton is going to play a quarter and a half this week in week two instead of just his regular quarter. So I think that in Chicago, Justin Fields turned enough heads last week to where we might have ourselves a good old-fashioned QB competition. But, I mean, would you start Justin Fields or Andy Dalton? Like, come on, man. I- I'm-, I'm putting Justin Fields in there. I don't-, I don't care about no Andy Dalton. He's had his time. I would, put, I would put Justin Fields in, too, because I actually think the Chicago Bears – have a team around Justin Fields to compete. It's not like a Trevor Lawrence situation where if Trevor Lawrence doesn't play, the team will be worlds worse than they would be if Trevor Lawrence did play. Trevor Lawrence would be the entire offense on that team right now. But for um, for Justin Fields, even if Andy Dalton plays, the Bears will be a good team. I mean, look at last year. I mean, they had Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky switching off, and they were a playoff team. So put Justin Fields on that team, I think that's a team that could actually win the division. Um, I think Andy Dalton is going to start the first couple games, at least the first game. But I think once they look around, they're like, all right, look, Andy Dalton's not going to get us past being whatever, seven and nine, eight and 10, whatever, like not 
you're not, you're not going to win enough games with Andy Dalton. You're going to have to put in a guy that's going to be able to make plays. They're going to put Justin Fields in, and I think you're going to see a completely different team. I do actually think the Bears are going to win the division this year. I, I I think they I think they could if Justin Fields plays most of the season. And and the one thing that that is crazy to me is that they've decided to do away with the the fourth preseason game, and now it's just. They added the extra regular season game, so it's a 17-game season now. I, I'm a little worried that there, there's going to be teams like Chicago that say, all right, well, we're going to start Andy Dalton for two or three games, and then we'll go to Justin Fields. And when you've got a top seven, top five, potentially top five defense like the Chicago Bears have, I think that you're risking winning a division in, in that instance by not playing Justin Fields from the get-go. Because – with Andy Dalton, I don't think that the offense is going to be as efficient. Your defense is going to be on the field more. And then late in the game, they're going to be tired, which could cost them a game or two early. And that could be the difference between winning the division and, I mean, honestly missing the playoffs. Because I don't know that they're going to be good enough to be a wild card team. Just depends on how everything looks this year. No, I completely agree. Um, I think one rookie quarterback, though, that will really struggle this year, regardless of who's around him, is going to be Zach Wilson. He has just not really looked that good to me in preseason. Um, I think he's getting a little too much hate because, I mean, obviously he's only played in one game. He plays for the Jets, and the Jets also are completely uh, redoing their coaching staff. they got Robert Sala taking over, who I'm actually really high on. I just don't think Zach Wilson, just from what I've seen so far, is is going to be the guy for them in, in uh, New York. Yeah, what's going to get Zach Wilson in a lot of trouble, and I think we can all agree on this, is his arm is lively. He can spin the old pigskin. He has, he has a strong arm. Like he can, he can put the football into places that other people can't put it into. So I think just because he knows that he can do that, he's going to try to, you know, put the team on his back and do things that, you know, is going to get him and the team in trouble. Uh, I disagree with you though. Whit. I, I think that eventually once Robert Sala gets his system in place and puts some pieces around the jets, they'll be okay. Uh, just going to take a little more time for him just because he has the strong enough arm to to really spin the ball all over the all over the field. Yeah, I thought Zach Wilson looked all right last week. Uh, I I watched I literally watched preseason football all weekend last weekend, and it I've just I'm so ready for football season that I'm desperately watching anything. I mean, I've got the Patriots and the Eagles on right now uh, while we're recording, and and you know, to me, I thought Zach Wilson looked all right. I, I don't think he's got anyone around him really that that's going to allow him to be super successful this year. But for sure, with with, I think Robert Sala is going to have the Jets defense playing really, really well this year. Uh, Quinnen Williams should be back and healthy. Uh, I, I'm I'm excited to see what this rookie quarterback class looks like in in five years because you know the the way that they were being talked about this past week. Was like these these all all of these guys these the first five picks are going to be Hall of Famers. Trey Lance came in and he looked pretty good. Uh, so I I don't know. It it'll be interesting to to see how it all shakes out when we're talking about these guys three four years from now. Heck, it wasn't even the rookie quarterbacks. It was the, it was all the first year starters. Even Drew Locke got thrown in there. Like I don't know what it was about NFL media this post or this uh, preseason, but good grief, man. They're just throwing everybody out there. They got uh, Jordan Love was getting the start for the Packers. They're talking about how good he was playing. 
Uh, they're talking about Drew Locke. This Gardner Minshew, I think people were talking about. He was playing pretty good. I was like, what in the world, man? Like, why? Like, I know, like, these rookie quarterbacks were all top, what, 10 picks. Like, I know there's there four top 10 picks this year, but, like, you can't expect everyone to end up being a Hall of Famer. Y'all were talking about the Jags a little bit earlier. Do you want to say anything about Tim Tebow? Matt said it's not a big deal, so we're not going to talk about it. It's not a big deal. He got cut. It's not a, it's not a big deal. According to Matt, it's not a big deal. No, the, the, the Jaguars signing him is not a big deal. And him getting cut is not a big deal. So no. We're not, we're not well, talking about it. I think that's got to be the final like final straw for a sports career. Like, what's he going to do now? I will say He's one thing, go. though. Of course, of course, after I say we're not going to talk about it, I will say one thing. Uh, so his statement where he said, I'm just I'm just blessed to have to have had an opportunity to to pursue a dream. I sat there, I looked at it and I'm thinking, you have lived out the dream. What are you talking about? You first of all, OK, you have won national championships two. you won a Heisman. You got drafted in the NFL. You were a starting quarterback in the NFL. You won an NFL playoff game. Then you went to go play baseball. All right. What are you talking about? Uh, oh, blessed to have an opportunity to live out a dream. You already lived out your dream. This, what, what are you talking Somebody else could have lived out that dream. Well, they will. That's, it's a good thing they cut him in the first week. If they, if they strung him along for like four weeks of preseason, it would have been ridiculous. But I'm glad they kind of like figured out, okay, he's clearly not really comfortable here. He's not going to be a standout player. So let's get, get the other guys in here. But the dude had had what three or four plays at tight end when uh, when the Jets had him. Oh, come on, what do you what do you expect this guy to 30, 34 years old to come in and be a be a tight end? And Matt's over here. He's he's gonna give his analysis. Oh, you know why not give him a chance? What do you mean why not give him a chance? No, I mean <laughs> he sold a lot of jerseys and he mentored Trevor Lawrence. Did he, he help? He mentored he, Trevor Lawrence at tight end. No, no, he, no but he, he's a part of the program. He's just part of like hire him as a coach. And honestly, I think they may. I think they. I think I could honestly see that happening. Here, here's, here's why I don't think that. Like everyone's making a big deal about Tim Tebow and like oh he like everyone keeps saying oh he took somebody else's roster spot. No, we didn't. All all that he did was he was a person that Urban Meyer said, hey, this is someone who ran my system extremely successfully in college, as you just said. He won two national championships and a Heisman Trophy. He knows what I like to do pretty well. Maybe we could have some short yardage situations and goal line packages for this guy. If it doesn't work out, no sweat. He's going to get cut just like anybody else that we did that, that we would pick up as an undrafted free agent. No big deal. We're just going it, to. So it, to me, it's not a big deal that they signed him and they gave him this opportunity and they cut him in the first week. It, it's not like he took anybody's roster spot. It's not like they've done anything wrong. He took away the media attention from Trevor Lawrence for a, a majority of the, the early preseason. He had three jerseys that were in the top seven in jersey sales for a week, which is a lot of money that came into the Jaguars organization, and it was a, literally a zero-risk signing. My thing is, is, yes, he didn't take somebody's roster spot, blah, blah, blah. He took somebody's opportunity Yes. Okay. So yes. So so what? So what? That person wouldn't wouldn't have made the roster. He would he would have still gotten cut. 
but it's still an opportunity for somebody who is not 34 years old. It's an opportunity for somebody who who hasn't had their chance in the NFL, who hasn't won a playoff game in the NFL, who hasn't been a starting quarterback for three years. It's an opportunity for somebody else. If you want him on your team in some sort of way, you hire him as a coach, like a quality con- control coach, like all these other coaches start out as. Hire him as a coach and let him do you know do things like that. Let him mentor Trevor Lawrence like that. So, you know, it's, see, it, it's that simple. See, if you look at it from a player's perspective, Lando is completely right. He is actually, even though it might just be a preseason roster spot, it's still he's still taking that opportunity away. But if you're the Jaguars organization, who do you want to pick up? Some random tight end that plays for a D2 college that's probably not going to make the roster anyway. Or Tim Tebow, who, number one, is going to make you a crap ton of money in jersey sales. Number two, is going to bring a bunch of people out to watch your preseason practice. And number three... When he was an, like at his prime playing in the NFL, he probably would have been a really good tight end if he would have played tight end back then. But right now, he's not, in the, he's not in the right shape to play tight end. I mean, you could watch him when you watch the Jaguars game. He's in like baseball outfielder shape. He's not in tight end NFL footballer shape. I mean, he got completely mowed over multiple times in that game. He looked really uncomfortable. And, you know, yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm over here sitting in my living room. I mean, I ate Chick Fil A earlier, so I'm not like I'm not saying I'm I'm in that kind of shape at all either. But I'm I'm just saying like I mean I'm you can tell the difference between a real NFL tight end and what Tim Tebow was running around trying to do um, last weekend. So I I mean, I'm, I kind of agree with Matt. It, it's it's a zero it's a zero risk signing uh, just to bring him in for the preseason. Honestly, I thought there was a good chance they were going to give him a roster spot anyway, just because of the fact of like he was saying like he's a good leader. It's a good guy to have in the locker room, and he's a big name that's going to bring people out to ball games. But Lando is also right too. It's wrong because he's taking away a spot from somebody who could actually. It's an opportunity for someone else to actually make their dream come true. And you see a lot of people who, from D two colleges, D three, whatever, that come out and end up playing really well in the preseason and end up making a roster spot and then end up being really good. So it's, I would you have, guys are both you guys are both right. I would have loved to have seen, like a. 21 year old 20 year old player have that position have that spot that that Tebow had and go out there in a preseason game give all he's got and actually gives the Jaguars a good look and does get cut and pans out for the Jags and does all these cool things I I, I think that that would have been a much cooler story than oh 34 year old Tim Tebow back in the NFL blah 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 it would have been a cool story but would you have watched it? I'm not a Jags fan. I'm just exactly. saying. Exactly. But even exactly, everybody well, watched that game because there Tim was, Tebow was playing in it. There was three other tight ends on the roster already, so it's not like he's taking an. He's not even taking an opportunity from anybody. They said, "Hey, here's a guy here that knows Urban Meyer system. He brings all the upside of a of potentially doing something. And if he sucks." Who cares? Because they already have the D2, D3 guys on the roster that they're given an opportunity to. They already have those guys. It's not like that they're, that they're just saying, like, oh, we're only doing this. Like, look, you wouldn't even know the name of the kid that got cut as a tight end that from the Jags that was a, a JUCO transferred into a D3 college and, and ended up trying out for the Jags and gets cut week one. You wouldn't have known his name, so how would you say it's a cool story that someone got an opportunity? Because, obviously, if that person got the opportunity and they succeeded really well, then it would be all over SportsCenter, and then I would know his name. Which, which That's is, what I was meaning by that. That's exactly what I was meaning by that. Which is exactly what they're doing with the other tight, end opportun- the other tight ends on the roster. They're giving them the opportunity to do the same thing. 
And Tim Tebow. All I'm, all, literally, literally, all I'm saying is that was one spot that, you know, if, if, if you want him on your team, hire him as a coach. That's literally all I'm saying. Literally all I'm saying. Waste of a spot. Yeah, I will say, I don't think it was ever about, I, I really don't think it was ever truly about him being legitimate tight end in in the league. It was really, it was about money, leadership, and, and a program guy. I mean, yeah, if you hire him on as a coach, you're not making all that money in jersey sales, obviously. It, it was literally a money move for like a week, and then you get him out of there. I bet Urban Meyer lasts half a season. You're talking about a small market Jacksonville team, too. You're not talking about New England. You're not talking about Dallas. You're not talking about Chicago, where it's one of these big-name NFL cities. You're talking about Jacksonville, where the only people who care about the Jacksonville Jaguars are fans of the Jacksonville Jaguars, which is predominantly in the South Georgia, North Florida region. So the Jags spent more time on national television this offseason than in any other offseason I've ever remembered. And it wasn't even just about Trevor Lawrence. It was about Tim Tebow. Even since preseason game one, what did, what did Tim Tebow do? He took all the all the no one has really talked about Trevor Lawrence and his performance. They talked about it for a day, and then it's ever since then, Tim Tebow got cut. So no one's even talking about Trevor Lawrence now. It's all about Tim Tebow. So if anything, you you have bought your number one overall rookie quarterback draft pick the the ability to not have any media pressure on him whatsoever for a like all of his career to this point. Well, enough about NFL football because we're a college football podcast until the Eagles win, this, win another Super Bowl and the Falcons finish, what, 2-15 and 15 again? That, hey, that's the hope. That's the hope because if, yeah. if they finish 2-16, and 16, guess what? Sam Howell is going to be the number one overall pick this year oh. for whoever, whoever's got a quarterback. And I'm going to tell you all right now, I've been watching some of his highlights lately. I've been looking at UNC. I think Sam Howell is the best quarterback in college football this year. I think if he didn't play for North Carolina, if he played for a team like Oklahoma or even Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, he played for one of those teams, I think he'd win the Heisman this year, hands down. Easy. What other quarterbacks are there in college that that Matt are Corral. not named the big names? I think Matt Corral is going to be a guy that climbs a lot of draft boards this year. Has what do you mean the big names? Like the big names, so like, like the big QB names, big you know, names, or, the, or the, like the, Oklahoma, Georgia? Yeah, the typical Alabama, you know, Georgia, Oklahoma quarterbacks. What what other quarterbacks are there that have turned some heads? Matt just said Matt Corral. Has he always played at uh, Ole Miss, or has he played? Did he did he play somewhere else? So he he played at Ole Miss. Uh, is is he was committed to Florida originally? Uh, decommitted, committed to Ole Miss when Hugh Freeze was the coach. Hugh Freeze had his situation. And uh, Matt Luke took over as the interim. Matt Corral was there through the Rich Rod years and everything, and he just never really fit that offensive system. Lane Kiffin came in last year, and he absolutely lit it up. Uh, Obviously, Lane Kiffin's offense fits his style really well. He's got a really strong arm, really accurate uh, deep ball. To me, he's a guy that – a lot of people, he kind of surprised people, but he had the two really bad, ugly games where he threw six picks against Arkansas, and then he threw five or six picks against LSU. But outside of those two games, he only threw two interceptions the rest of the year. So it was like whenever, whatever happened mentally for him in those two games, he just couldn't get it out of his head. Um, but 
I'm, I'm interested exactly to see what, he looks what like happened mentally with him in those two games. He 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 came into those games and said, Arkansas, ah, I can just come out of here and just toss it around. LSU, ah, they suck. I can just come out here and toss it around and we'll still win the game. That's exactly what happened because it, that, like every player does that. You see a you see a team that that's not playing well and you're like, oh, we're pretty good. We can beat this team without really trying. Then you go out there with that mentality and then you you suck it up. Yeah, I don't know if you're getting that from Matt Corral though last year. Because I mean, Ole Miss, yeah, they looked better than they have the past couple years with Matt Luke. But they still, I mean, they were a five and five team last year. It's not like they're in Alabama or Georgia and Oklahoma where they're just blowing everybody out. Yeah, but I'm just saying they they were better than LSU and, and Arkansas though. So teams can still get that mentality you know what i mean i mean the the Ole Miss last year being five and five they actually under like their record didn't show what they could have done and a lot of it was their defense uh they had the auburn game where it was a kickoff it hit the uh, auburn players finger rolled into the end zone Ole Miss recovered it in the end zone but they called it a touchback and they wouldn't review it the uh, officials wouldn't review it I don't remember if it was a or they maybe they did review it and they said oh there wasn't enough evidence something stupid Auburn ended up winning that game and then the two games where Matt Corral throws six picks against Arkansas and they lose by like five points and then same against LSU he threw the five or six interceptions in that game and Ole Miss lost by a touchdown or something like that it's so I mean they were they easily could have been eight and two or seven and three with Matt Crowell putting up those numbers last year. Well, obviously, it helped him out a lot having Elijah Moore, who I thought was going to be a first-round draft pick as a wide receiver. Um, but Matt Crowell, to me, is the guy that I think he's going to sneak up some Heisman boards if Ole Miss wins a few games, a couple of big games. See, a guy that I think a lot of people aren't talking about, that's how Lana was saying, is a good quarterback that plays for a team that's not the Oklahoma, not the Georgia, not the uh, Alabama, whatever is Brock Purdy. I mean, he plays for Iowa State. Obviously, Iowa State is a big name coming into this college football season. But before this year and last year, they really were not a team you were looking at going, wow, this is a top 10 team. And I think part of the reason they've been that good, not just because of the head coach, but also because of Brock Purdy and Brees Hall, guys like that who have stuck around with the program who are, even though they're playing really well, and they could probably skip out and go and play for like Oklahoma or Texas or whoever, they want to stick around and, and do good things and do big things for Iowa State because, I mean, this I've never seen Iowa State have, a, have even a winning record. And now, I mean, I think they were – what are they in the AP poll right now? Seven? Yeah, they're seven behind Texas A&M. So, I mean, you're looking at these teams. I mean, we talked about last week that one through six this year could honestly be interchangeable just because of how much talent they have on their roster. And Iowa State is right behind those six. So, that – Brock Purdy, I think, is going to have a big year. He's got a lot to work with on his team, um, especially on offense. He had pretty much everybody come back. Um, they're going to be a big test for Oklahoma. Yeah, I like Brock Purdy, too, because he's definitely going to have a big chip on his shoulder after the way uh, their season kind of ended last year in that Big 12 championship game against Oklahoma. He didn't play very well like he played in the first meeting against Oklahoma. So I think he's going to look at that uh, Big 12 championship game and come back with a big chip on his shoulder like he has a lot to prove. And with just like you alluded to, Iowa State has brought back a lot of players offensively from last year. And I'm honestly terrified for that game. It's going to be a really good game. Oklahoma's going to really have to come in there and play really well against them on defense and offense and special teams. All sides of the ball just uh, eat out a win against Iowa State. They're going to be really good, a big test in the Big 12. 
Maybe it's just because I haven't, I didn't, I don't, I didn't watch enough Iowa State last year. But I, I don't think they're going to be as good as they were last year. This year, I don't, I don't know what it is about them. I feel like they were kind of a one-hit wonder. I think, I think Brock Purdy was good. I think Brees Hall, him being on the team, is going to be what makes them legit. Uh, when I watched that Big Twelve Championship game, I thought Brock Purdy missed a lot of throws that that honestly hurt him. Um, and I didn't watch enough Iowa State outside of the few times that, like when they played Oklahoma and Texas uh to to really get a good read on what I thought of him but I mean I, I could see him being a guy that is a like a boomer bus guy where he's he's got a ton of upside he's got the arm but I, I don't know I, I I was a little surprised to see Iowa State at seven and I think Matt Campbell and Brees Hall are the two reasons that they're still there but I still kind of feel like I, I don't know I just had this gut feeling maybe they were one hit wonder and I, I want to watch them a little more this year just to see you know, maybe they're legit. They could be the real deal. I think their biggest struggle is going to be defensively because I don't know what all they brought back on defense. I know they brought back a ton of key players on offense, but defensively, I'm not entirely sure what all they brought back. So that could possibly be be one of the uh, issues they're going to have this upcoming year. I think seven is a good spot for them, though. That's a good spot. Last time I looked, I'm pretty sure they brought back – I think they lost, like, two players on defense, and besides that, they brought back the entire starting roster. Okay, well, then – So, they are pretty – I could be wrong. This is. It's been a while since I've looked at the rosters and kind of gone through who all left and who transferred and whatnot, and a lot has happened this summer. But they brought back a lot, and I honestly think that's the reason they're ranked so high because I think even if just a couple of the guys that stayed, even like Charlie Kohler tied in, if Reese Hall ended up leaving, they would have been further down the board, like around 15 or 16, even with Brock Purdy coming back. But I just think the fact that all those star players are coming back is the reason why they're still top 10. And honestly, I mean, looking at the Big 12 right now, who is going to challenge them besides Oklahoma too? I mean, Texas has some upside, as they do every year. TCU as a team, I think, is going to kind of turn it around and be a lot better this year as well. Um, I don't think they're going to be a contender or anything, but I could see them ending in the top 25. And Oklahoma State, obviously, they're still going to be pretty good. But besides that, I don't know who would beat them. Baylor will, will be better this year because it's going to be the second year under, uh, what's his name, Dave Aranda from LSU. So it's going to be his second year. And, of course, COVID happened last year, so he didn't really have an opportunity to, to really – hone in his type of system, his type of players at Baylor. So I think the Big 12 is going to have to look out for Baylor this year, and Kansas State is always going to be Kansas State. For some reason, it's always difficult to play against Kansas State. Just I don't understand. Kansas State's a hard-nosed football team, and they always play really tough. But another quarterback that I'm interested to see like produ- production-wise this year is Emory Jones because I feel like there's been a lot of – talk around, you know, Dan Mullen and Florida and he's already being compared. I saw a thing the other day. It was like three Florida greats and it was Dan Mullen, Steve Spurrier and Urban Meyer in a picture together. And it was like, is Dan Mullen already a Florida great? That's, that's a, that's a bit of a, a leap there. He's only beaten Georgia once, but then I remember that Dan Mullen did a lot of good things with Nick Fitzgerald as his quarterback. And I feel like Emory Jones could be, it, it has got to be better than Nick Fitzgerald. Um, but I'm, I'm, I feel like I've, I've heard a lot of Florida fans talking that, that they've heard a lot of really good things about Emory Jones through practice. So I'm curious to see what Emory Jones brings to the table this year for the Gators. See, the difference with that is, is Nick Fitzgerald, the standard for Mississippi State, 
is not as high as the standard for Florida. So that's the difference. So Emory Jones is going to be held to a higher standard, and the offense for Florida is going to be held to a different level. The bars is set a lot higher than it is for Mississippi State. So Nick Fitzgerald wasn't wasn't expected to do great things and contend for SEC championship games. He was expected to beat the teams that Mississippi State wasn't supposed to beat and look really good on a weekly basis. But Emory Jones is going to be expected to go out there and tear it up, light it up, light up the scoreboard for Florida and potentially compete for an SEC East uh, title and potentially an SEC championship. So that's what I think the difference is. Yeah, I honestly think um, what's going to happen with Emory Jones is it's going to be a lot very similar to what Dan Mullen had with Dak Prescott at Mississippi State. It's that run first quarterback kind of offense where like they're still going to throw the ball a lot. But last year they did nothing but throw the ball. They could not run the ball at all. They, I mean, I think against I was watching the replay of the Georgia game this week, and I watched the replay of the Alabama game, the SEC championship. I think in both those games they were under 100 yards rushing, so, and and they and they scored a lot of points in both those games. They lost to Alabama and ended up beating Georgia by like three touchdowns. That last year it was all passing. That's all they did. I think this year we're going to see it much more QB rush with a little bit of. I know they got that five star transfer from Clemson. I think they're going to try and bring him in. Um, I think his name's Devin Bowman. They're going to use him as a as a crutch on offense. Um, I think their offensive line is going to be a lot stronger this year too, which I think will help them with that run push. And they don't really have the receivers like they had last year too to have that kind of passing game. Emory Jones does have a really good arm if you've seen him throw the ball. He's got a strong arm. He's just not as accurate and he's not as smart with the football as Kyle Trask was, which is why I think they're going to kind of move towards that offense. I think they'd be smart to move back to that offense, though, because that that offense got got Mississippi State to a an Orange Bowl. <laughs> I mean, they got blown out by Georgia Tech, but but it got them there, and and that's unprecedented for Mississippi State. So I, I mean, I I feel like obviously Georgia's the favorite in in the East, but I don't feel like I've heard a lot of people really talking about Florida outside of. You know, oh, they're probably just going to take a, a big step back because of losing Kyle Trask. And they lost, I mean, they did lose a lot of offensive pieces. Um, obviously, Kyle Pitts, you know, the <laughs> probably the most athletic player in the NFL draft this past year. And then uh, who was that that cat that, that they had that was, a, he was like a, like a Percy Harvin kind of guy that they had? Uh, Tony, Kadarius Tony. Kadarius yeah, Tony. Kadarius yeah. Tony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kadarius Tony. He, I mean, they, he was electric. You know, he can make plays happen just because of how fast he was. So I'm I'm curious to see how Florida is this year. What would Witt do if Florida ended up winning the East this year? What would Witt do? Would he jump off the jump off his balcony? Well, well, there's there's a couple contingencies there now. Did JT Daniels get hurt? Is there a bunch of injuries? I'm talking. I'm talking outright. I'm talking. I'm talking. Georgia's Kirby Smart gets sniped from the stands. Like (laughs) if if it's outright, if it's outright, what the preseason roster I know that Georgia has versus the preseason roster I know that Florida has. If Florida beats Georgia this year with those two rosters, no, you know, cheap plays involved or bad calls or anything. I am. It's it truly. It will truly mean that Florida is taking over the East. And in that case, I will be very terrified of what's to come for the future. Well, but if- for now, considering the fact of like what I just said, I think Florida is going to move to that run first offense. Georgia has probably the best run defense in the entire country. And they have for the past, this is going to be the third year in a row that we've been that good. 
Um, and that's part of why I think Florida, it wouldn't be smart to move to that run first uh, offense just because we have so much freaking uh, new guys in the secondary that's so inexperienced. It's so easy to take control of them. And I think Clemson's going to do that first game. But like with that, if, if they're going to try and run the ball on Georgia, I think we have a really good chance of beating them. Absolute now, tar out of Florida this year. Now, now, we, you know, good and darn well, if Florida somehow beats Georgia this year, you UGA fans would would find three plays where, oh, oh, that was a bad call. The referee screwed us in that one. Oh, that was a bad call. Oh, he was on sides. Oh, da, da, da. you guys would find some excuse to make for for why Georgia lost. You know it's true. Well, hey, I mean, we've we've been through a lot of heartache, so you you, you should understand. I mean, uh, when, when the, with the whole Tyler Simmons thing, the national championship. After something like that happens, and you have your whole world taken away from you, you get a little antsy. <laughs> okay, I see that. I see that play on Instagram or Twitter at least like five times a week from Georgia fans that are like, "Oh, so he still wasn't offsides." There was a false oh. start. There was a false start on the play. They threw the flag because there was pre movement before the snap. Whether it was a false start, the play would have been redone anyways. Or if it was offsides, the play was redone. There was movement pre-snap. Go back and watch it. Alabama jumped. It should have been a false start, but the the blocked punt still would not have counted because it's a pre-snap penalty, and you can't decline a false start. So Georgia fans, please go back and watch that. You will see the pre-snap movement, and then you'll and then you'll feel better about it because the, bring keep, that up. Bring that up next week when we have Tyler on. I'd love to hear you have that conversation with him. You know, I, I will absolutely do that. <laughs> I'm and gonna I, sit back and it, sit back and watch. <laughs> it, 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 you know, if nothing, I'll, I, it's just making you go back and rewatch that play. Which you is won't, funny. you won't, you won't see me call. I mean, I'll, I'll complain about it, just kind of joking around. But I would never say that the reason Georgia lost is because of a bad call for any game. I mean, Alabama. I mean, in the end, Georgia had many opportunities to win that game. There was, I mean, obviously that whole last play. I mean, oh my gosh, that was completely blown by the safety. That Georgia should have won that game anyway. In the end. Just because of because I think Georgia was a better team than Alabama, but you know it is what it is. But let's think about this: Georgia shouldn't have even been there because if it wasn't for a squib kick, you wouldn't have even made it. So it, it would have been Oklahoma losing by 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 a ridiculous touchdown in overtime. Well, and the fact that Oklahoma couldn't tackle the entire second half. I know, I know, right? You know, if, if <laughs> but oh, but 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 I mean, but let's let's be honest though. Like our defense was atrocious. It was horrible that year. It was really bad. Oh, that defense! That was and, probably the worst defense Oklahoma's it, ever had. It, it was, it was and, and we still and we still made it a really good game and been lost by what a point, two points to an SEC school. Of course, I, I can't really talk now because you know part of the SEC, so I can't. <laughs> One of so, the brethren. Yeah, I I was actually thinking about this the other day. Because I the, I saw there was a replay of that Rose Bowl game on, Oklahoma wins that game. Their defense was so bad that Jalen Hurts doesn't get pulled. Tua Tungavaloa probably transfers out instead of Jalen Hurts if Oklahoma wins that game against Georgia. Jalen Hurts is I actually dis I still think Tua would have gotten thrown to that game. You you do, yeah, yeah because uh, Oklahoma's offense was absurdly potent, so. Alabama but, would have had to do something to to keep up. Alabama would have had to keep up, and I don't. I mean, you could tell even in that Clemson game. I mean, Jalen Hurts before he went to Oklahoma was just not a good passer. He was a decent passer. He wasn't terrible, 
But he was okay. he was not a good passer at all. Okay, let, let's uh, going into that national championship game. Alabama's got the ball, and he missed Calvin Ridley wide open for a touchdown on that first drive. And it, it was it was like atrociously bad how bad he missed him. And there had been multiple moments throughout the season where that had happened. The difference was was Jalen Hurts was so electric with his legs that oh, yeah. a lot of SEC defenses were kept off balance by that. And when you have the rushing attack with Damian Harris in the backfield too, and Bo Scarborough hit that year the uh and the, the Clemson Natty his freshman year, the 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 backfield was stout. And I, I just I don't know. It, it, I I still think that it would have been interesting to see though. I was playing this what if game the other day, and I thought Jalen Hurts probably would have stayed in that game. I think Alabama would have lost because they kept Jalen Hurts in the game. And that Tua Tungavailoa would have transferred out after that season, probably to USC. And the domino effect that would have happened there, there there's just no telling what could have been. Like, I love those college football what-ifs. Yeah, and I actually, Matt, I agree with you. I think I think that game actually would have been really, really electric and spectacular because Oklahoma had D.D. Westbrook, Rodney Anderson, Baker Mayfield, a, a loaded offense, lots of really good players. And of course, the defense is horrible, atrocious. So, of course, the game would have been hella high scoring, but that game would have been awesome to watch. It would have been kind of like Rose Bowl uh, 2.0. Oh, yeah, it would it would have been nuts. And I don't know. I, it, I think the, the backlash from it would have been crazier than the game itself and what the dominoes that would have fallen that way. Because then who knows if JT Daniels commits to USC if, if two was there. And then if... If that happens, then does uh, does JT transfer to Georgia? I mean, it's it's the 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 fun what if hindsight twenty twenty, but luckily none of that happened. Alabama won the national championship, and and all is well in the world. Well, if we're talking about what ifs, what about what if Georgia ended up hanging on and winning that national championship? Nick Saban ends up falling over and dying because of how upset he is because he lost to one of his uh, former former uh, apprentices and the whole college football landscape is turned upside down. Georgia becomes the new Alabama wins 18 national championships in a row and all is well and good. Ironically, I feel like 90% of Georgia fans already think that they're Alabama. That's at least the way they talk. <laughs> oh, we are. We're just, we're not, we're just not there yet. We just haven't won anything yet. How many national championships does Georgia have? Two. I'm going to do this again. How many Heisman winners do they have? How many what? Heisman? Two. Heisman winners? Two. Definitely. You, you guys are definitely Alabama. <laughs> hey, I've never said it. All right, guys. Let's get into the pour one out, cut them off segment. Lando, who are you pouring one out for? This week, I am cutting off curbs and turtles and not the animal. This week, this past weekend in NASCAR, they raced at the Indianapolis Road Course for the first time in the Cup Series. And it was a great race up until... The curbs started coming apart because of all the abuse it had over the weekend with how heavy the cars are and how much force they're running with. The curbing came up and wrecked like 13 cars. They all went into the tire barriers and caused a huge red flag. It took an hour and a half for the the race to finish and it only had like four laps left. So I'm definitely cutting off curbs and turtles because that made the race unbearable to watch it uh, towards the end. 
uh, and kind of put a damper on what was really a, a great race uh, throughout the day. So I'm cutting off that this week, and this week I'm pouring one out for the Atlanta Braves, who took the lead in the East. So pour one out for the Braves because they're finally coming back and playing some good baseball. Matt. So this week I am pouring one out for baseball in the corn because the Field of Dreams game was absolutely awesome. Um, it, the, uh, it made it better that the White Sox walked it off. But the the whole beginning of it, the the players coming out of the corn onto the field for the entrance, the atmosphere of the game, the feel of the game, uh, the White Sox go up early. There was a, it was high scoring. It was a close game. The White Sox walk it off. It could not have been a more perfect game. It was the highest watched regular season Major League Baseball game since a Red Sox Yankees game in two thousand and six. So unbelievable that the number of people that tuned into it. So really, really, really cool. Uh, thing that Major League Baseball did. I normally don't give baseball credit for anything. This is one of the coolest things they've done. They've already renewed it for next year. It's going to be uh, Cubs Reds. So, and that'll that should get a pretty big turnout because the Cubs AAA affiliate is in Iowa. Um, so, really excited to see what turns out with that. Hey Matt, so to kind of go back to your uh, poor one out. Do you think that game was just a little too much too I perfect? I was about to say, yeah. Cuz that game, I I don't know, with all the movie lights and the players coming out of the corn, Kevin fireworks Costner, right at the end. The fireworks right at the end after the walk off, all the home runs. Do you think that game was just a little too perfect, just a little uh fishy? Baby. The one th- the one reason that I don't necessarily think that like that that cuz I I had kind of thought that afterwards. I was like the White Sox walk off a game in Iowa where his shoeless Joe Jackson was kind of honored throughout the movie and the White Sox just happened to walk it off. And and that did cross my mind. But I realized that Liam Hendricks is one of the best closers. He was an all-star this year. And the fact that he blew that game to begin with was really odd, and I don't think that they that that would have been a. I don't know. It it, it did have that feel though, where it was like, this game was perfect, too. Just perfect. a little too perfect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the walk off and the fireworks at the end. That that just it gave it away for me. I'm like, oh, all right. This 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 was this was staged, completely set up. I think the fireworks were ready for any home runs, you know, or for the any ending of the game, regardless. Um, I don't know. It, it was really cool, though, because Field of Dreams is one of my favorite movies whenever I was a kid. So watching that game and seeing how it turned out uh, was just it, it was it was it was awesome. Every bit of it was awesome. I think the problem that they're going to have is re, re rekindling that again because we've seen it now. It's not exactly. new. It's not different. It's not unique. We've seen it. What I think they should do and what they probably won't do is I think they should play the all-star game there. I think that that would, like, you put the best players for a given season and you do the same thing where they come out of the corn and now you've got something special again versus just doing it with two random teams like the Cubs and the Reds. I'm not the commissioner of baseball. That's just what I I just think that would be awesome if they had an all-star game there. But this week I'm cutting off John Mara the owner of the New York Giants, because 
He is all in on the No Fun League. I don't know if y'all saw the highlight of this past weekend uh, from the Colts preseason game. Um, I forget. I think they were playing the they were playing the Panthers. It was Sunday at one. This guy who you know it was late. I, th- I want to say it was like third, fourth quarter. Maybe it was earlier in the game. But he's not a guy that has a for sure guaranteed roster spot. He gets a handoff. He's he basically carries the entire Carolina defense in a pile. They can't bring him down. He gets a first down late for the for the Colts. And he gets up and he didn't even really do anything that bad. He just like let out a scream and flex a little bit just because he was like excited that this dude's living out his dream for the first time ever. And he gets a 15-yard penalty going the other way for taunting. And John Mara comes out the day and or yesterday and is like, "Yeah, you know, I don't know anybody that likes taunting in this league. And every NFL somewhat football fan says, uh, that would be me. I enjoy watching the taunting because it's part of the emotion of the game. So I'm cutting off John Mara for being all in on the no fun league, which is, it sucks. I hate the no fun league. Wit, who are you pouring one out for this week? I am going to be pouring one out for our boy, Freddie Freeman, who in the last five games is hitting 619. Dude has been absolutely raking. He won an MVP last year. He's got Austin Riley hitting right behind him, who might also win an MVP. Um, It's been really cool to see. And I'm going to be cutting off the other hometown team, the Atlanta Falcons. Even though it was a preseason game, they looked absolutely atrocious. A.J. McCarron might be the worst backup quarterback in all of of the NFL right now. I don't even think he's going to be the backup quarterback once we get to the season. I think it's going to be Felipe Franks, which I am very surprised to say. I would. I wouldn't have thought I'd be saying that at the beginning of the season. So, um, definitely cutting off the Falcons. Keys, you pouring one out for? Well, I guess when you go last, you got to pick up the sloppy seconds. I'm pouring one out for the Braves and the Braves bats. So they've been really, really swinging. They've got. I think. It, I think the stat was they had uh, six of the top seventeen home run leaders, which is pretty incredible. And they've won the past. Uh, as of tonight, they've won the past 10 consecutive road games. Uh, so important one out for the Braves. They're really impressive that they've come back and, and done this with all their players out and, and kind of rallied. So hopefully they can keep that going. And I'm going to be cutting off Nebraska and Scott Frost. Uh, the Cornhuskers are kind of under fire right now for some allegations of um, violating the use of analysts and, and, and things like that. So they, uh, analysts are not supposed to talk directly to players and, you know, they're not supposed to be used in certain ways of practices. And there's like video footage of the analysts being used incorrectly and talking to players. And then apparently Scott Frost has also been hosting unsanctioned workouts and, and just kind of breaking a lot of rules. So he's facing some suspension. It looks like, uh, if he doesn't get himself out of it. So cutting off the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Nice. Well, that's our show. Thank you guys for listening. As always, we appreciate it. Please give us a follow on Instagram at Around the Keg and on Twitter at Around the Keg Pod. Send us any questions or topics you want us to discuss on the show, and we'll be happy to include as much as we can. Our artist of the week is Allie Bay. Be sure to check her out on Spotify and Apple Music and give her a follow on social media. Here's her song, Green Face, to play us out. Have a great week. Have a great week.